Ah, oh, finally. We are having technical difficulties again. Yeah. Hold struggle. I had to, like, delete the app and then reinstall it. But we're here now. We're back. <laughs> happy Easter. Happy Easter. Um, happy Passover? Did that already happen, or is it still happening? I don't... I... Happy Passover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna go for it. You know, happy early or late, or whenever, whenever it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um... All right, well, I'm really excited for this story because I, okay, so I thought it was going to be shorter and then, like, my notes are 13 pages long. Yeah, you sent me your notes and I was like, oh boy. (laughs) Interesting. Because, like, I think I just, I think I tend to do a lot of, like, um, like, background research. That's good, though. I mean, you need Mm -hmm. to, it's important information still. Yeah, hopefully it'll be good. I'm excited. I think it will be good. Um, I'm Sonia. (laughs) I'm Maddie. And welcome to Grim. Woo! Okay, so this week I researched the Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in Weston, West Virginia. Ah. And I hope I'm saying that right. I think I've heard of Allegheny, but I don't know. Allegheny. Trans Allegheny. No, that it's, sounds wrong now I'm saying it though. It's spelled A L L E G H E N Y. So. Alright. I'm gonna go for it, you know? It's yeah. Fine. Um, <laughs> and also, thank you to the two people who guessed on our Instagram. Yeah. I was so happy. It's always so exciting. I was like, oh my god, we have comments. Like, <laughs> this is crazy. Interaction. Wow. The most yeah. social interaction I've had all week. <laughs> Honestly, facts. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a little... It's getting to me, but it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long week. It has. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to start out with, like, before the asylum, because I think it, like, ties into what happened a little bit more. So, early colonists from Europe, they arrived in North America, you know, with, like, the whole everyone leaving for religious beliefs and stuff. Mm. Um, And, you know, since they were leaving because they didn't want to, like, have their beliefs be, like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, discriminated against? I don't know if that's... Yeah, yeah, I get you. That's the vibe I'm going for. Um, So they brought their beliefs over. Um, and these beliefs are both, they were enlightened beliefs and archaic beliefs. So that would be, archaic is like the old stuff. Um, and then the enlightened beliefs have like a more, I guess like rational, modern kind of view. Okay. Um, But is this Christianity? It's like all, like any religion that came over. You know what I mean? I can't remember Uh, if it was, I think it might have. You know, like, the different branches of Christianity? Yeah. I don't know which branch it is, but it's one. Okay, but it was Christian. Okay. <laughs> I see. I'm I have just, you. like, there are so many. I don't yeah, there are too many. What they are, but they're there. Um, but the thing about having, like, an older view, like, an archaic belief, is that people who follow them are, like, considered to be insane and considered to be, like, possessed by demons or witches or, like, the devil, I guess. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. So, uh, fun fact, apparently the a lot of the women who were, like, witches, I guess, in the late 1600s, like, um, you know, like the Salem Witch Trial and whatever, were um, actually people who were likely suffering from mental illnesses or were 
quote unquote like insane you know yeah i heard that which is very sad kind of crazy um and we know this because historians like they recently did a study of the documents during that time and they found like descriptions of people who Mm -hmm. were accused of witchcraft and then using those descriptions they gave them to like modern psychologists who concluded that most of the executed witches were most likely just suffering for um from mental illness um very sad which is really sad that like at least now you know we have a more like well-rounded view of mental illness and like we know about a little bit more about it but um Mm -hmm. just like when you don't know about something I guess they like they tried they did the best they could but like it's just really sad like knowing like looking back at it and you're like well we could have helped you know yeah Um, and then also witch hunting witch hunting wasn't just like a Salem thing it was like everywhere in Puritan New England um Mm. yeah so didn't, I don't I don't think I knew that. Yeah, it was just yeah, it is really interesting, and it's also like global too, because I know that yeah, I did they did witch hunting like right outside the castle. There's like a really haunted spot where like burnt witches. I did know there were some in Europe, but I didn't know it was a thing elsewhere in America. I guess it makes sense though yeah. if it was like the panic spreading through all of America, yeah, not probably. just Salem. Yeah, um, sad though. I'm really sad. Um, so throughout like. The next century in colonial America that's like up until like around the 1800s from you know the Salem witch trials in the late 1600s to about right before the 1800s um the treatment for someone who was considered insane was really just like barbaric <laughs> yeah um is the only way I can describe it because if people who didn't have like friends or family to take care of them or like take responsibility for them they were usually just thrown in prison with like criminals Mm -hmm. and they were usually chained to the walls or like naked regardless of the temperature and they were just like they didn't like clean up since they were chained to the walls and stuff like that they were also like just surrounded by their own waste um good that'll help them yeah like where was the thought process behind that i genuinely (sighs) have no idea like that's just crazy to me that they're like oh that person is insane like let's just chain them to the wall for the rest of their life like yeah like what that's just crazy (sighs) yeah don't understand yeah um so some families you know like you always have that one like good person um who ended up like taking responsibility but usually like even if you do take responsibility in that time it was more about like hiding their relatives who had mental illnesses to avoid embarrassment So even if you did, if, like, a family didn't send relatives who had a mental illness to prison, they would usually, like, throw them in the attic or, like, sheds or, like, holes in the ground at that mm-hmm. summer, which is, it reminds me holes of, in the ground. yeah, like, that, Ugh. I just, I don't know. Yeah, that's, ugh. Also barbaric. Scary. You know? Yeah. Like, you think it's yeah. better, you're like, oh, like, I get to save my family, but they just, like, throw you in a shed. <laughs> you're just, Yeah in a hole in the ground oof um in the 1770s they started building facilities to quote unquote like house the insane you know um Mm. but these places like they weren't designed around like helping that person um yeah the treatment wasn't they were that much better yeah they were they weren't there to like help them cope with what they were going through or like um, because insanity was 
usually regarded as like incurable Mm -hmm. so they were like we're just gonna keep them away from society in this place like it's more humane than a prison specifically for people who are considered insane and then like moving yeah so um, in the 1800s, there was actually like a, a obviously much needed change to this kind of stigma around mental illness. Um, and it was through the efforts of a couple of different people, but the most like prominent figure was Dorothy Dix. Um, I'm assuming it's Dorothy. It's like, or is it Dorothea? There's an A at the oh. end, but like... Yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I think I've seen a name like that before. I don't know how Dorothea? to pronounce it though. Dorothea. Dorothea. Yeah, we'll <laughs> go with it. <laughs> Apologies if you guys know like how to pronounce these names, and I'm just butchering everything. <laughs> um. So she brought like the um the situation around uh, mental illness and insanity to the public, and then they basically made like her efforts were to make the law commit more funds towards like humane care good for her which is yeah great for her um and then by 1850 there's a man called thomas kirkbride and he had a theory of like a curative environment so then that's when like an asylum kind of took place oh okay um actually i do want to talk about dorothea dix for like a second because she was she was a pretty influential she had a very interesting life. Um, I did get most of this information from, like, the asylum has, like, a website. Um, so I'm really hoping it, it's accurate. Um, yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'd assume so. so. I'd hope so. <laughs> um, so according to one of her, like, biographers, like, um, she was, quote-unquote, one of the rare cases in history where a social movement that got to be as big as it did and to create as much change as it, as it did was caused by one person. Um, wow. Yeah. So, like, definitely props to her, especially being a yeah, woman. Yeah, that is in impressive. It's like, yeah. Damn. Um, she was a teacher, a nurse, and a social reformer, but she was best known for her commitment to like improve the treatment for the mentally ill. Um, she was the eldest of three children, so like, I feel like there's a thing about only children, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> she was born in 1802. So like, like just like I'm honestly an offer for like being able to do all of that at that time yeah um so she did have an abusive and alcoholic father and a mentally unstable mother and she basically raised her two brothers um so she you know even when she was a child she had like no childhood um she also wasn't educated formally but she was apparently very like gifted intellectually yeah, she's a nurse. Yeah, right? yeah. So she. Oh wow. Yep. So um, she was a teacher, a nurse, and a social reformer. So like she. Wow. Did everything. Um. <laughs> and when she was 15 years old, literally 15, she opened a private school in Worcester. Wait, like she was the teacher? Yeah, she, like she started the school. Wow. Wow. And she, the school was like to teach like girls, especially especially young girls. Because this was, like, the 1800s, right? There's, like, basically no educational opportunities available for women. Which, Is it still around today? Um, I'm not sure if it's still around today. It was, well, I mean, it was made in the early 1800s. So I feel like... Yeah. Probably not. 
mean, our school, our high school was founded in 1881. Yeah, that's true, but it's been, like, massively renovated a couple of centuries <laughs> so it, I bet it like looks nothing like when it first opened yeah it definitely does um, not yeah. but also so this one just 15 right five years later she was 20 mm-hmm. and she opened up another school in Boston that was like basically the same thing oh my god so I just I really respect her you know yeah um in 1841 she visited a jail in Cambridge and then it was at that place that she saw mentally ill like inmates who are considered Mm. inmates because they were in jail um but they didn't actually do anything wrong um she saw them chained to the stone walls in cells without like heat or ventilation and obviously like it's traumatizing to me to hear it obviously it was traumatizing Mm -hmm. for her to like see it so it was like then that she started her basically idea to like improve the treatment of the mentally ill I don't know how she did it, but she managed to, like, get the attention of the Massachusetts state legislature and then got them to authorize funds to improve the conditions. And then because she, like, exposed it all to the public as well. Um, So she ended up being really successful in Massachusetts. Um, And then I guess she, like, went on tour. She traveled all around the U.S. and then also to Europe and Asia, where she, like, observed the prisons and then basically exposed them because all of these places were like like they have enough knowledge about mental illness to do anything about it so they yeah all had these like really terrible conditions so she ended up yikes um basically leading the force to like improve the treatment wow and all around the world she's crazy crazy um all of it finally came into like fruition when the first hospital for the mentally ill was opened in Trenton, New Jersey, in 1848. It's like, damn. Um, this was the second asylum that followed Thomas Kirkbride's plan, who is the other person that I mentioned before, and she worked with him closely because we were both talking about like mental illness and how to not just like exclude these people from society, but also like help them instead. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, it does make sense because she's under like a lot of stress. She, like, the strain of all of her work really hurt her, like, physically and mentally. And she suffered a lot of mental breakdowns during her lifetime. Aww. And she ended up actually admitting herself to the hospital that opened in Trenton. Um, oh, yeah. wow. So she was given a private apartment and she spent the remaining six years of her life there when she died in 1887 Hmm. so she had quite a life she did a lot with her life yeah definitely i'm three years past 15 and i haven't opened a school yet (laughs) so i think i'm doing something wrong (laughs) you gotta get on that song open up a school (laughs) (laughs) so the other person that i mentioned was thomas kirkbride um and he was super influential with the treatment of the mentally ill as well um based on his like architectural planning so he was born in 1809 on july 31st and he was born in pennsylvania because you know i go to school a little bit since this like Mm -hmm. asylum is in virginia uh, like down south more I was like oh it's not gonna really have that much relevance to us and they're like oh she opened up this school in Worcester and like went to a jail in Cambridge yeah that was 
pretty close. I yeah. Like, wow, you know, full circle here. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So Thomas Kirkbride's family were Quaker farmers, and his father thought that he was too frail for farming. But again, he was really intelligent. So they encouraged, like his family encouraged him to like pursue a medical career instead of farming. So that's good. Right. That they, like, supported I was kind of shocked because I, I feel like every single story I've read has been like, if you're born a farmer, you have to be a farmer, you know? Yeah. But yeah. he did end up completing education when he was 18. And then he studied medicine with Dr. Nic- Nicholas Belleville in Trenton. Um, and then he got his degree in medicine from the University of Pennsylvania in 1832. Um, he wanted to be a surgeon because it was like the most prestigious and also like financially stable. <laughs> and, um, but he couldn't, like he didn't get a residency um, at the hospital in Philadelphia. So through family connections, because his family were Quaker, they gave him a residency at uh, the Quaker Run Friends Asylum for the Insane in Frankfurt, which is a small town like right outside of Philadelphia. Um, he accepted the position because he was like, need money. <laughs> Mood. <laughs> and also because he was like, this could probably be like a stepping stone to get a residency at Pennsylvania, like the ho- Pennsylvania Hospital. He, yeah, yeah like so he didn't actually do it because he had any interest in treating people who were insane. But oh, okay. he was at the asylum, the Friends Asylum for the Insane. Apparently, he was really impressed by the quote-unquote like moral treatment of the patients there because you know, during that time, people who were considered insane were actually not like treated well at all. Um, yeah, we have been learning about the Quakers in my theology class, and yeah, they are, it's a very interesting um, sect of, well, it's kind of Christianity, but kind of not. See, that's the thing it's about religion, because I feel seem... like everything is like, like, there are so many religions that are like, Christianity, but not. Yeah, so like, some some Quakers consider, consider themselves like, a branch of Christianity, and some just consider themselves like, religious, just like, vaguely, I like that. you know? Thank yeah, I, I really like it, actually. Like, they are probably the group of, like, religious group that I agree most with. Because they're very, like, accepting and believe in equality. Oh, here for and that. And treat everyone the same, which is, yeah, which was why, like, that kind of makes sense to me that, like, they would be treating um, people with mental illnesses, like, the best Yeah, the I didn't time. know that, but that makes a lot of sense. Like, if that's what you believe yeah. in. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And they're actually acting on what they believe which Build is them. admirable we stand quakers yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> um, oh okay so the friends asylum was at the time really progressive because they had a family atmosphere and then they also like didn't chain their people to the walls just, you that's know, always a good thing that's what i want in the place that i'm going to for help is to not be chained to the wall yeah yeah, and they also bit. provided the patients with like um, like stimulation, like mentally and physically. Like they had like activities like for your mind and your body. Um, and then he, Kirk Bride, he basically like really applied himself here. He was described as 
quote, faithful and exemplary discharge of his duties, um, end quote. So that's what his, like, higher-ups, superiors, wrote about him. Um, so he was apparently, like, really dedicated. Um, and then he still really wanted to be a surgeon, though, but he, so, that's not English. <laughs> In March of 1833, he was actually offered a residency at the Pennsylvania Hospital. So he took it. He was like, yes, I want to be a surgeon. Um, and then he never, he like, I guess he thought he was done, you know, with like treating the like people who were considered insane. Here he was like, oh, we're done. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't done, actually. Plot twist. <laughs> <laughs> so he became a surgeon, right? So he had a bit of cash on him but he was actually really known for being kind and compassionate in treating patients and this like it didn't matter if they were considered sane or not sane he was still kind and compassionate which makes sense now that you tell me this thing about Quakers he was brought up Quaker so like that makes sense um yeah and then in 1840 so this is a couple years later like seven 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 that's how you do math seven years later um I'm so sorry. I was like, why are there so many seven? I was just... 777 years I just later? I couldn't figure out how to subtract 33 from 40 for, like, a hot second there. Um, I feel that. The, like, board, the hospital governors, gave him the position of superintendent of the Pennsylvania Hospital for the Insane. Because, and he accepted. Oh. He was like, ah, oh, more, like, a prestigious position, a lot with more financial security, um, Sounds like he'd yeah, be good at it, you know, too. Being kind of compassionate. Makes sense. Um, he did take his job really seriously as well. Apparently, he collected everything that was, like, written on the treatment and housing of the mentally ill. And then he was really interested in the buildings um, and, like, the design of the buildings because he noticed that um, the design of the new facility that he was like gonna run was ill-planned and in, in consideration with um restoring um I don't know the word like but like restoring not sanity but like better for your mental health okay so the architecture yeah the good building wasn't good for that um he wanted okay. uh, like a building that would have like a curative effect so he removed patient he moved patients in like jail cells and other oh okay was it more like yeah it was more like, like that and he didn't want based... it to be like that okay so he basically changed it he brought them to like a more rural environment that had like manicured grounds or like not like manicured but like well kept you know like it's the outdoors yeah. um the buildings were arranged in in echelon which is like i think it's greek it looks like a v when you look at it from above it's like how the it was designed um the building was designed because it had like really long wings on each side like the south wing and the east wing or whatever that provided a lot of sunlight and air so that the building itself like had oh, ventilation nice. and it had like sunlight because i feel like your mental health is definitely gonna get worse if you're stuck inside all day <laughs> gotta yeah it's gonna say so it doesn't yeah. feel like a prison as um, much <laughs> so he wanted the buildings to have a curative effect as well as the treatments um 
and the facilities were designed to be self-sufficient because they had like places for the people to go out and like have stimulation like I said like mentally and physically Mm. um yeah so his his thing was to change what the buildings looked like in order to help mental health which you know I respect that that's awesome um yeah so in the early 1850s there was like a growing patient population people were being diagnosed as mentally ill more um and this kind of put a strain on his hospital vision um so he convinced the owners to approve more funds to build like another facility based on his theories and they called this the kirkbride plan um and this base this plan basically for the next like couple of decades actually influenced the construction of over 300 mental asylums in north america so he was known as the foremost authority on hospital design that's quite a title good for him in the 20th century there were like the theory of the building as a cure was discredited apparently um, because it was super expensive to maintain the facilities and then since he'd built over 300 across America they were kind of deteriorating a little bit um, and they were mostly abandoned and demolished which is why we see so many abandoned mental asylums today yeah, a lot of them are. Yeah, in Medfield. We went to one. Um, yeah. In Medfield, yeah, near our house. It's, yeah, it's really scary. Really so, abandoned. <laughs> I'm just like, can't help but think, yeah. like, what would happen if they didn't discredit the building as care plan, you know? Like, I feel like it, it I mean, it's not a whole cure yeah, itself, I would but think it definitely so helps. Like, why would. I feel like that's just kind of common sense. I guess it was too expensive, hmm. though. Weird. Yeah, but I mean, they gotta pay for good care. That's true. Um, Apparently, his work with the mentally ill had, like, an effect on his personal life because he survived an assassination attempt by one of his patients. And then he married one of his patients and raised family with them. So. Oh. Yeah. Um, Interesting. I don't really know. But Um, he died in Philadelphia on December 16th of 1883. (laughs) All right, so that was Thomas Kirkbride, in case you were wondering about him. That was a wild guy, led a wild life, had some wild experiences, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I'd say. I was not expecting that. I wasn't either. I got the biography and I was like, oh, okay, like he did some stuff, he like made it well, and then it was like, yep, he was almost assassinated by one of his patients. I was like, whoa there. (laughs) And then married another one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so going into the asylum a little bit more. Um uh I don't did I mention where it is in West Virginia? Yeah, I think so. But yeah, so um yeah. Okay. I'm gonna Okay, this is a little bit more history, but like talking about the Civil War. Um the Civil War basically divided the country and divided families and friend friendships as well. Um so the asylum is in Virginia at the time Virginia which is a border state so there's definitely going to be some division there you know it's like right in the front lines of battle um and apparently the place that took like the events that took place um it like around the asylum 
really had like a lasting effect on remodeling the United States, which I didn't realize like one place could have such a big impact. Um, yeah. So yeah. the war started in April of 1861 with Fort Sumter. And then at that point, the new asylum was still being built. Um, don't think I have it in my notes, but if I remember correctly, they had the south wing and then the basement built. And they had like the foundation of the central kind of thing. Um, but in June, okay. Virginia succeeded from the union, which like paused all work and construction that wasn't related to the war in everywhere. Um, and then came the most dramatic event in the history of Weston, which is the town that the asylum is in. So what happened is that on at 5 a.m. on June 30th, 1861, the people were woken up by the sound of drums like and marching soldiers entering the town. And it turned out to be the 7th Ohio Infantry, which had marched all night from Clarksburg, which is like 25 miles from the north, and um, was led by Colonel er- Erastus Bernard Tyler, who is really familiar with the area and was also known by a lot of the people there because he had been in town to like sell fur before um so he ordered his oh, troops to, like go okay. through the town and basically like seize any individuals who are suspected to be confederate um so then one of his men captain list took two armed soldiers didn't sleep the town but they like went directly for the western branch of the exchange bank of virginia and this bank held almost $30,000 in gold, which was deposited by the state of Virginia because they needed to pay the people who are working on the asylum. Because, like, as you remember, these guys got, like, more funding from the government to build the asylum. So it was all stored here, right in the middle of the mm. war. So they, like, took the gold, and then um, there was a banker there. His name was Robert McClandish. He lived on the second floor of the bank. And he was, like, basically ordered to, like, give them the money. Um, They took over uh, $27,000, which is worth about, like, half a million, I think. Um, And they left about $2,000 in the bank. Because they couldn't take it all, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Take some, take, leave some for you. Yeah. Buy yourself something nice. Um, <laughs> the money was taken to fund the new state of Virginia because they wanted to separate, I guess, and that became West Virginia in 1863. Um, there are a couple of other things that happened, but basically yeah. the partially built asylum and the surrounding grounds became Camp Tyler, which really established Weston as an important military post, and it made it really vital to the control of like roads. And then at the end of the war, the completion of the asylum was prioritized. So then other towns were really financially ruined by the war, but Weston didn't experience a post-war depression because of the asylum and because of the money from the asylum. Um, yeah, because like the money yeah. that they stole so that the Confederate troops couldn't get the money. They had the money and they built the asylum. It really established itself as like a primary economic resource, which is... Kind of crazy. Wow. Actually, talk about the asylum. It was described as, like, currently foreboding, which already sounds scary. 
don't like that. Um, yeah. And it had three cemeteries behind the asylum because they buried thousands of patients in unmarked wooden coffins. Wait, this was... Yeah, after. Be- after? Yes, right now. So, okay, so look at it. It's described day. as okay. foreboding. Okay. And then oh, you God. see in the back there are three they... cemeteries. I think this. I think the same thing happened at Probably. Um, Medfield State. Or was it Medfield? Yeah, they there's like a big field that's just like a bunch so of sad. unmatched graves, basically, <laughs> of the patients. Like it is. You definitely want to be able to pay your respects. You can't do that if it's unmarked. Yeah. 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 Um. Okay, so the asylum is the largest hand-cut stone masonry building in North America. And the second largest in the world after the Kremlin. Wow. Which is, yeah, kind of crazy. Oh, wow. Apparently they, like, brought in stone masons that from, like, crazy. Germany and stuff to build it, too. Which is wild. Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, they started construction in 1858 and then opened to patients in 1864. In 1913, they changed the name to the Weston State Hospital, but then changed it back after it closed and then they reopened it as like a tourist attraction it was designed by the architect Richard Andrews who used the Kirkbride plan to maximize sunlight and fresh air because they wanted the building to serve as a healing environment Um, so basically following the Kirkbride plan the asylum had like really long wings and a staggered formation so that each of the connecting structures had like sunlight which makes sense, you know? Like, you gotta gotta give everyone some light. Yeah. Yeah, like that, um... Yeah. That architectural yeah. plan. Um, <laughs> yeah, love it. I got you. <laughs> Don't know if any of that made sense, but... I feel that. My brain is dead. Um, okay. <laughs> so originally, this hospital, um, the largest in North America, was designed for 250 people. Which I think is kind of funny, because, like, dorms have way more than 250 people and are kind of small yeah yeah i think mine had oh shit how many were in mine 40 40 per floor wait no 80 per floor four floors that is i don't know how to do that math but that's more i think eight times four yeah wait yeah (laughs) three two hundred three oh no it's right okay it's about the same no wait 320 oh yeah I can't when you go to college so yeah it's more and ours <laughs> what happens when you get your math requirement done for a yeah. semester <laughs> you can just forget about it for the rest of the, for the rest of your life basically and yeah our, mine was one of the small dorms so that's funny <laughs> I mean it makes sense though because in dorms have like two people per <laughs> room and it's kind of like a prison and yeah I really it yeah, especially when I first moved in, it felt like a oh, prison because we had the cinder block walls and they weren't really decorated yet, and so it was just very cold and um, gross. All right. <laughs> so it was also apparently really easy to get admitted because in the late 1800s, first of all, women didn't have that many rights. So um, things like mm. um, abuse by a husband or imaginary female trouble or like medicine to prevent conception or or disappointed affection could cause a woman to be checked into the mental hospital. Um, Also, a husband could sign his Mm. wife in if she had inherited money. 
and he didn't want <laughs> yeah that doesn't make any sense to me she has money he wants the money she like he admits her to the hospital um that oh my god i or it this really gets me if the that. husband preferred his mistress he could admit his wife to a mental hospital <laughs> oh my god no couldn't just divorce her or not you be cheating on her in the first place <laughs> Um, children who accompanied their mothers when they were admitted to said mental hospital could be adopted without consent, which is a hard pass. Oh my god. Really That is awful. Um, And then male patients who are admitted usually suffered from alcoholism, schizophrenia, and also could suffer from dog bites, epilepsy, tuberculosis, or, quote, getting kicked in the head by a horse, end quote. Don't <laughs> some brain damage. <laughs> I don't rabies? the dog bite one. Is that like yeah oh, trauma? I was say. Is that just rabies oh, or is that just know. like trauma? All of the above could be any of combination. Like, yeah, I have like a list later that I think I put in there, and it's just wild. I'll read it too, but it's like the things that people got admitted for <laughs> can't. It's like. It reminds me of the, um, I read Girl Interrupted, which is about, it's set in Massachusetts, I believe. Um, I, I can't remember now, I feel really bad, that what she got admitted into the hospital for, but it was something, like, absolutely insane like that. Like, yeah, I've been, like, insane. Ha- having trouble sleeping or you're something insane. like that. And they're like, okay, you're going, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, it's just wild. Okay, so the hospital is supposed to have 250 people, but in 1880, it had 717 in 1938, it had 1,661. And in... Oh my god, how did they fit all of them in there? Um, but in 1949, <sighs> they had over 1,800 people in the hospital. Oh my god. How m- what, Were they just, like, Basically. shoving, like, five of them in the same room? Right? So oh, the increase people. in patients was because of an increase in the diagnoses about mental health and also stigma around mental health could cause people to send their family members away. Um, By the time it was 1950, Mm -hmm. the hospital ended up having over 2,400 patients, really crowded conditions. They had really bad, yeah. That is... They had um, like a farm and like uh, cows and stuff for dairy that was originally designed to provide for maximum of 300 because like including the staff um they were unable to meet the increased demand because of overcrowding so patients suffered from malnutrition which really only made their mental health issues worse oh yeah i was gonna say that sounds like it's making things worse not better i mean it was started with a good purpose but really bad the execution wasn't great um then there was yeah. a series of reports by the Charleston Gazette in 1949, which found that the place had poor sanitation, insufficient furniture, bad lighting, bad heating, and much of the complex. And then there was one wing that was rebuilt, but then because of a fire that was started by a patient, and then that was comparatively more luxurious because they rebuilt it, but still really bad. Um, yeah. yeah there were also numerous reports of suicides, murders, and rapes. Hard pass. Um, oh, they then sent in a yeah. investigate the inner workings of the asylum, 
and they found that patients were sleeping on the floor in freezing rooms because there was a lack of furniture and heat. There was overcrowding and overworked staff. So there was a decreased emphasis on sanitation. So, you know, like the building was supposed to have like an emphasis on big windows and light, but the windows were now apparently covered in like grime, which darkened the rooms. Oh no. Yeah. Um, And then the wallpaper was peeling because of like decay. Um, and also because, sorry, oh God, this seems like it's just gonna. I'm sorry, I was just gonna say this. Is, this yeah. just seems like it's gonna make their I like, mental see, state. I could see. I could see having a like mental state that just Gross. got considerably worse from this. Yeah, like even if you go into there perfectly, like yeah. mentally healthy, like you're not gonna stay that way. So I can't imagine if you're already having like if you have a mental illness already, and then you're put into those yeah. awful circumstances, okay. like. Oh yeah, yeah but, like, I'm all, like I feel so bad for the staff, staff because really. they're dealing with like if the the place was meant to house fifty two hundred fifty and the farm could support three hundred, there are mm-hmm. fifty people working for two yeah. like over two thousand patients. Fifty enough. people is not enough. Um, and then mm-hmm. so the the wallpaper is peeling because of decay, and also because patients who were mentally ill like tore it off the walls in panic and like I understand that that's scary um Mm. and it was then that the patients were often physically restrained and then given inhumane treatment such as electroshock therapy and lobotomies yeah oh I knew we were gonna go to lobotomies and I hated it oh no I was like waiting for it from the beginning oh god I just can't yeah it's like every time I learn about them my brain just hurts um, also, I just want to yeah. reiterate that oh, some of the people who were brought in, like, weren't actually mentally ill, for example. Some people, like, some pe- people were brought in for mm. things like asthma, epilepsy, rabies, probably from dog, but yeah, asthma. What? Asthma? Sent to a mental hospital. Oh my god, I didn't know that would... I know. That, but that's purely physical. And also, like, things like rabies and tuberculosis. Weird. Like, even epilepsy. Medication can treat that. I mean, I'm not sure about yeah, that, at least now. Yeah. But still, like, oh, I guess, yeah. Ra- yeah, I guess rabies does affect your mind, but, like, it's just interesting to think now that, like, we classify them under completely yeah, yeah, different, it's like, like a, it's not a mental illness, you know, it's like, like a category. Interesting. But, okay, yeah. here's some of the other things that people yeah. were brought in and had to go through this because of um, trauma in early life seduction, egotism, bad whiskey, indigestion, doubt about his mother's ancestors, loss of arm, change of life, menstrual derangement, <laughs> childbirth, disappointed love, death of sons in war. Childbirth? Wait, did you say childbirth? I mean, so if you well, gave okay, birth to a child... Like you were traumatized because of it, but like, listing it as childbirth makes it seem like but gave birth. Could be. Any yes. woman with a child um, could be thrown in there. Oh, also, domestic trouble, laziness. Oh God! This, this is against me. Reading too many novels. What? Masturbation fits and desertion of husband. Like, what are these? I would be in like, there. Reading too I would many be in novels a is a reason that someone got sent here. Like, yeah. I've been there for laziness, uh, disappointed love, all of it. I don't. Yeah. And then, <laughs> oh, so God. keep in mind, those are the things that people oh. are brought, like, brought in for. 
the treatments that they gave them included ice water baths, bloodletting, insulin coma therapy, confinement cribs, confinement cages, and electroshock therapy. I don't think any yeah, of that sounds like it'll help. <laughs> I yeah, think I'm in general, it would help, but also helping. for treating these conditions. Like, bad whiskey. Oh, insulin coma therapy. Yeah. I'm up. Like, what? <laughs> oh, you're having doubts about your mother's ancestors? Let's take some that of your blood. That doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> uh, okay. No. It gets worse. Oh, my God. So, patients who couldn't be controlled were often locked in cages, which is the opposite of any of their plans. You know, I don't think Dorothy Dix had this in mind when she was like, we should make a mental asylum. Don't think that's what she was planning. Yeah. But the um, asylum found itself to be the home for the West Virginia Lobotomy Project in the early 1950s. So this was in effort by the state of Virginia, West Virginia, and also by um, a doctor called Walter Freeman, who wanted to use lobotomy to reduce the number of patients in asylums because of the overcrowding. It, it doesn't help it really doesn't. anything. <laughs> so oh, he performed Freeman performed I think over 4,000 lobotomies in his lifetime and a lot of them left perfectly healthy people oh with lasting physical and brain like mental brain damage. In some cases they thought it would yeah. calm down the patient but in almost all of the ca- cases it basically caused, like, a healthy human being to be, like, permanently brain damaged. Yeah. Um, oh also, what That's makes awful. it worse is that the procedure was so common at this, like, asylum during... So, even during... Um, I think they gave... There's, there's an example that in a two-week period in the early 1950s, one doctor performed 228 ice pick lobotomies. In two, uh, two weeks. In one but week? But still, like... That's oh, over 100 okay. per that week. That is like, still disgusting. That's... I just... I can't. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. My um, brain hurts again. Oh, this, this gets to go into even this. worse. <laughs> so, the ice pick lobotomy method oh, no. basically involved, like, putting a thin pointed rod, like an ice pick, into the eye socket, and then using a hammer oh to sever the connective oh tissue God. of the brain's prefrontal cortex. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, it's Sonia. Sorry. <laughs> I am holding my eyes. No, I a, hate it just, that. It caused so many more? deaths, but like... Okay, thank you. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. I hate it. Same. My eyes hurt now, too. <laughs> um, so then in February of oh. 1986, the governor, um, Arch Moore... He was like, you know what, we're going to move the, th- the psychiatric facility somewhere else and then convert this place into a prison because it's so terrible. Uh, and then the new facility, the William R. Sharp Jr. Hospital, was built in Weston, another place. And um, then they ended up being open for more than a century there, but were forced to close in 1994, which is really soon. Pretty recent, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say that's like um, pretty recent. But that was because of reforms in mental health treatment, which like, thank you, we need that. 
Yeah. But it's kind of scary that it happened. Basically. Just like, like, what, 30 ish yeah. years ago? Not even. 26. Like, that's so wow. recent. Yeah. Uh, I hate it. Yeah. I. <laughs> so then the building and yeah. the ground have basically <laughs> been vacant, but they have local events like fairs and church events and tours. Um, oh wait wait did you I thought it was gonna be a prison was yeah yeah it closed did I mishear something yeah because the building started to destroy. oh oh the prison okay okay sorry anyway continue. it was like really old it was built in like the early okay right? like sorry it's gonna start deteriorating yeah that yeah. makes sense and it was already really um, gross also in 1999 the fr- like the four floors the first four floors of the building were severely damaged by um city and country county police officers paying paintball <laughs> yeah what what the story like some of it is like it's, Just, i i don't even playing understand paintball in the building you, yeah I don't, I don't know interesting yeah <laughs> um basically oh god anyway just of this is that hundreds of patients died during the asylums like opening um and a lot of people and guests and like ghost hunters mm-hmm. have claimed to see the ghost roam ghosts roaming the halls and stuff um ghost hunters are the most frequent visitors and they say that they can feel the presence of the hundreds of people who died there so is it safe to be in see, the that's my like, concern too because when sound? we went to the medfield state hospital or penitentiary is that is it hospital? Yeah, I forget well, what it's called. <laughs> I want to say I so think too. It's hospital. Um, but a lot of the buildings were like closed because of asbestos and also structural defects. But there are tours here. Like there are yeah. like, full on. So we were allowed. We were just tours and like history tours and stuff like that too. Huh. Where like people like will take you around. So I'm guessing it, it is structurally to. sound. Yeah. Wow, that's. Um, Interesting. Okay, so here's the the paranormal activity that has been reported. Um, People working there have quit after hearing squeaky wheels rolling along the tiled hallway. Um, Staffer, like people on the staff reported seeing ghosts walking through walls. One doctor says a ghost followed her home and continues to haunt her. I don't like it. (laughs) No. A lot of people report seeing like a ball of light moving down the hallway. Um. Yeah, they have. Wait, has Ghost Adventures been here? Yeah. Okay, I think I saw the. I feel like there's episode. a lot of paranormal activity here. I think I did see the episode of this. Yeah. Apparently, on the first floor, yeah, there's also a ghost like... called Ruth, who apparently hated men when she was alive and used to throw things at them. So she throws things at male visitors. <laughs> All right, Ruth. <laughs> Go laugh, I guess. Okay. Um, <laughs> I... When one yeah. of those like hunting tour things went through here, they captured the sound of someone saying "Get out!" in Ward Two on the second floor, where two patients committed suicide and another patient had been stabbed to death. Big yikes! Um, oh, a ghost okay. of a man known as Big Jim mm-hmm. is sent is said to haunt the third floor, and then there's also a, uh, the ghost of a nurse named Elizabeth on the third floor. Um, doors have been observed to be like opening and closing by themselves. There is a, like, 
phantom, I guess, known as the creeper, who is seen crawling on the floor, which is a hard pass. Oh. <gasps> no. Don't like Oh my god, that I would quit yes, if I saw that. I would quit if I did if any of these things. Um, people often report that they hear something like banging on the pipes. There's a ghost of a soldier called Jacob on the fourth floor. Um, there's hysterical laughter coming from empty rooms. Objects move by themselves. Oh, and no. then there was a murderer in the asylum known as Bluefoot, who had been stabbed to death in a bathroom and is sent to haunt the floor. Yeah. What's it? I said just like a nickname, like prison nicknames. Okay. But yeah. Um, and then the most frequent oh, and okay. also the most famous ghost is a girl named Lily, who wears a white dress, is about like nine years old. And they believe that she was a girl whose mother gave birth to her while it was at the asylum. And then she died at, when she was nine after spending every day of her life combined, like in the, in the asylum. That's so sad. Oh my god, I, oh. So I didn't sad. even think about that um, if you were born into there. But she oh apparently god. talks, yeah. rolls balls awful. along the floor, switches on flashlights, plays music, and then... Apparently, she giggles in a way that people describe as, like, sweet and horrifying at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like that either. I don't like that. Um, and then, oh, no. so I did read an article on the Washington, Washingtonian, sorry, which was written by Marissa M. Cascino. I'm so sorry for butchering your name. Um, I'll probably link it on our Instagram if you want to read it as well, but I want to read a little bit from it because... She went on a ghost tour at the asylum and then described what she heard. I think so, too. I was going to say we should go. I think that would be fun for us to do sometime. To, like... Honestly. Yeah. Or, like, just, like, any place that we cover. It'd be fun to, like, cover it and then yeah, at the end, great. like, put in our yeah. little <laughs> Let's do experience it. or something. Um, okay, so yeah. read this from her. So she said... <laughs> We broke into smaller groups, spending two hours on each of the asylum's four floors before rotating. Our guide told us about some of the hospital's better-known spirits, including a little girl named Lily who was born in the asylum, a man named Jesse who died of a heart attack in a bathtub, Civil War soldiers, and a patient who was brutally murdered by his roommates. On each floor, she gave us the lay of the land before turning us loose to explore. The hospital is so vast that it was easy to end up alone despite the dozens of other people wandering around. It was also easy to feel lost amid the maze of hallways and patient rooms covering, covered in peeling paint. Julia and I, who I'm assuming is the girl who she went with, um, set up a room, set up in an allegedly haunted room by a spirit named Jim James. We placed a mag light on the floor and I asked Jim to turn it on. The light was Julia's, but I inspected it and it seemed totally ordinary. A few beats passed, and then it came on, by itself. I offered Jim a cigarette to turn it back off. It went dark. I don't smoke, but our tour guide gave us a couple of cigarettes because she said some of the spirits liked them. We tried the flashlight trick again and again in a room where Lily supposedly plays, in a pitch-black corridor once reserved for violent women in the lobotomy recovery area without luck. Even so, exploring the crumbling building and learning its history were plenty thrilling ghost or no ghost. Alright, that was it. That does sound cool. That does I, sound 
That sounds cool. When things like lights turn on and off by themselves, it really just freaks me out a little bit, though. Yeah, like say, when you yeah. can interact. Because like it could be just a fluke, you know, like it turns on That's by itself because creepy. you put it down weirdly, but then if you're like, hey, I'll give you a cigarette if you turn it off, yeah. like it turns off. Like that's scary. Yeah. Like <laughs> that is. Um, so if you guys want to go visit, yeah, can't say I'm a fan. Historical day tours on Tuesday through Sunday. And then in October and stuff like that, they have ghost hunts and paranormal tours flashlight tours and also there's an asylum ball which if you want to go visit yeah oh. is that like like a dance yeah. like yeah and it, oh but yeah that sounds fun honestly that was all i had on on this lunacy asylum well Thank that you. was really interesting really well i was like, kind too. of panicking last Thank week you. because I texted you and I was like, hey, thank you for today. And then I have a paper due and I spent like all day on my paper and I was like, shit, I need to research. It's, I have a rough draft. But did you at least get your paper sections? And now I just have the results and discussion to edit. (laughs) All right. That's pretty good. You got this. I just like, I believe in you. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, bio is hard. <laughs> yeah, I told you that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? Bio is hard. Uh, I could Do you have a life update for us? But good for you. <laughs> um, I mean, I set up a Eventually. little Easter egg hunt for my bunny. Um, which is... Um, if you heard me get up and make some noise in the middle Aww. of your story, I'm very sorry, but he got the boy. eggs, so I had to open it for him. He's so good. He was, <laughs> he was rolling it around I on the floor, <laughs> desperately trying to get it open. Um, it, it took really a while, though. He's been out for a couple like... hours now, <laughs> and he just now found one. <laughs> I put one right in front of him, and he didn't realize... I opened it up and put it in front of him, and he just He's tried to eat, like, the plastic egg part, like, not the treat that was inside. I love him. He's just a special little boy, definitely. <laughs> but there's one left for him to find, and it's the hard one that I hid. It's in this, he has this little cardboard box Ooh. full of, like, paper, and I put it on top of the paper, but in All the right, box. yeah, you'll have to let me know if he does. So, let's see if he ever finds that. <laughs> that I will. Good life. Um, but that's all that's happening in my life. Uh, <laughs> boring but yes i'm good my mom has been it's debatable but wanting to go on like walks yeah so we go in the morning oh yeah my parents we take some go to the Halston rail trail oh nice i yeah, still have to get my bike time. fixed up so i can i love riding my bike on the Halston rail trail yeah we like it's like a really it's like trail. a bit of a drive to get there but then so we went there today and my mom was like oh it's easter sunday like mm. there won't be that many people it'll be fine and then we get there and there are like seven thousand people and we're like great <laughs> what do we do now yeah we went for a walk this morning and there were a lot of people out <laughs> too, was like, so I think, there's like nothing else to do praying, Easter, you know? So, you know, <laughs> spend some time praying. outdoors <laughs> what <laughs> 
like it's fine like it'll be fine and there were so many people I, love I was that. like stop <laughs> yeah that's what's going on with me I can't yeah sounds good I'm so ready can't wait for so, so this quarantine to be over but the thing that's scary is I feel like once quarantine is over it's just gonna come like everyone's gonna be yeah like out doing their normal Which jobs and I think that they germs are, are gonna spread again to extend you know? it a little bit more so that's that what I'm scared at of. least cause like if they let people loose when it starts to go down it's gonna go right back up you know but I feel like it's gonna go up yeah, no but matter if we what wait when for we go enough time, out again you know then it'll be fine because I know that they're reopening, like, schools and stuff like that in China. I hope. Scary. Yeah, I have a friend who's there, and she was telling oh, really? me that her brother's going back to school soon. So, there's hope. Oh, Things wow. will get better. Did not know that. <laughs> I just yeah, can't handle another semester of <laughs> online school because I haven't done anything, and it's really bad, and I'm not learning. <laughs> Yeah, I have. <laughs> the sad thing is, I yes, sent, you do. I was, you know, perusing TikTok last night as as usual, um, and I found this TikTok of a person, and there's like this whole online website where you can take Harry Potter courses. Yeah, why did which is tell us about amazing? This? And I don't know how I didn't know it before now, yeah. but <laughs> yeah. So I sent it to Sonia. Obviously, um, I now have an account, um, and. I am more excited about taking <laughs> these free online classes that aren't going to help me in anything in Too life than my yeah. classes that I'm paying an insane amount of money for to go to college. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this is, this seems like a problem, but <laughs> oh well. <laughs> but yes, I am planning on taking yeah, this course as soon and I would recommend it. It's Hogwarts so I can start year. doing fun things again. <laughs> I think so too. What? Do I it. think we should take our Hogwarts classes together when quarantine is over. Just it's adding things to get excited about <laughs> once quarantine is over to my list. And, like, um, I'm sad because I want it to be now and not later. Yeah. I know. And the sad thing is I still I still haven't gotten my stuff for my dorm. And so, like, my tarot cards and stuff are there. When are you going to go back? I know. It's very upsetting. I don't know. I don't know yet. It's definitely yeah, gonna be they, like either like mid May or later. Like, it, uh, yeah. I mean, it's good, but I, the good thing is we might be able to just leave my stuff on campus instead <laughs> of getting like um, a storage unit. So like, yeah, I won't have to pay for nice. a storage unit, which will be nice. Like, I can just move it right into my new dorm room. But. I do miss some stuff that I left there. <laughs> we don't. I don't. That was it for me, too. We'll see you guys <sighs> but that's next it for me. Do you have anything else? All also, right. follow us on Instagram. Yeah, stay safe, stay <laughs> healthy, <laughs> stay inside. Oh, you were? I thought you were done. Like, yeah, nice. I was just about to jump into my spiel. Follow us on... Yeah. <laughs> Um, follow us on Instagram at Grim Podcast. Comment on our um, pictures. I'm so happy that people commented. I was like, whatever, literally, I you know. was at dinner and I was like, yeah, like, we were having some conversation at something else, and I turned to my mom and I was like, two people have commented on our Instagram posts, and she was like, Sonia, <laughs> put your phone away. 
It's like, look at it. It's more important. No. (laughs) Um, What? Oh, uh, give us a good review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. It's it's really nice to hear that people like listening to the stuff that we like putting out there. Um, and email us at grim, thegrimpodcast at gmail.com um, we'd absolutely love to hear from you there and get more than yeah. just our <laughs> random spam <laughs> emails that are All ridiculous right. um, we'll see you guys next week I think that's it for true crime so. alright it'll be fun yes <laughs> yeah bye